Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 163, and today we are talking about books being released on June 19th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow old redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi there. I was looking at our show notes that still say June 12th, and I don't know where we are in space and time, so I was about <laughs> to be like, it's not June 19th. <laughs> yeah, I was. I almost said, I was like, June 19th. We've traveled back in time. I'm glad you're That's on top fine. of things this evening. Just barely. We're recording at night because nothing went right today. But it's so. like not late enough for it to be an after dark recording, so we're both sober. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Here we are. And I'm melting. We don't have air conditioning in my house. It's 95 and I'm melting in here. So we'll be efficient with this business. <laughs> All right. First order of business, $500 gift card. Last chance to enter this week. We're giving away a $500 gift card to the bookstore of the winner's choice. You can enter to win at bookriot.com slash bookstore 500-500 by June 21st. And someone gets a $500 gift card to the bookstore of their choice. You could buy so many new books recommended to you by, I don't know, like a, a podcast that talks about new books you should read. Mm, I want one of those. <laughs> I was talking to our friend Josh at Print Bookstore in Portland the other day, and he was telling me that they're getting ready to put in a romance section. And he was like, so I'm going to have to like do more research about romance. And I was like, you know, Book Riot has a great romance newsletter and a romance podcast. (laughs) If only there were a website you could follow. (laughs) We've got you covered. (laughs) All right. I look forward to going up and seeing that. Me too. Well, you know, we're going to be there together in about a month. I'm going to run in and scream, where are the kissing books? See what happens. I think that we should just put that on Instagram when you do it. <laughs> yes, we're gonna both we're gonna be doing a live recording. Yes. Live as in we're both going to be in the same room. Not it'll like, be the first yeah, it won't be like live to tape because we need editing. <laughs> <laughs> like now? Like that thing that just happened. <laughs> uh yeah. Space. But we're gonna be like together in the same room recording, which Yay. we have not done before. Eating donuts. Probably, yes. Eating donuts yep. and talking about kissing books. It's a hard life. Yes. But will we get to live our Donald Duck lifestyle? Do we have to wear pants is the question. That's my fashion aesthetic, Donald Duck. He's my hero. Um, I'm going to guess that we probably have to wear pants, but maybe like we could wear dresses and then it would kind of oh. be okay. like, <laughs> this is, we're all over the place. Let's talk about books, man. All right. Well, my first book is so good. I could just die. It's The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay, and it's so good. And honestly, I, like, I'm kind of sad that you didn't get a chance to read it and talk about it, 
but also super excited that I get to talk about it because I loved it so much. But Rebecca, you are going to love this book. It's so, so good. I have it here in my office. I'm going to read it this weekend. Oh, so good. Like, this is the one that's really going to put her, like, in... She's going to be a household name. It's, it's incredible. It's just fantastic. All right, let me tell you about it. It takes place during two different time periods. There's 1985. There's a young man named Yale. He's 31. It's it, They're in Chicago. He works at an art gallery at a school. He's trying to get... He just got this job. He's trying to get art for their collection. Um, his boyfriend is named Charles. He runs a gay newspaper. Uh, his best friend, Nico, has just passed away. Nico had AIDS. Uh, now, Nico's partner is also infected, so they're kind of getting ready for the eventual you know, illness that's going to come with that. Um, and he's also really close with Nico's sister, Fiona, who is this wild spirit who has sort of like the little sister to all the men in their group. And, you know, all of a sudden this devastating disease has come to their city and nobody knows what to do. It's 1985, so like people's reactions to the AIDS epidemic at the time, you know, it's just getting started. Like there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of prejudice, it's it's terrible. They're not getting treated properly at hospitals. Um... So this is what he's dealing with as he gets word that there is a potential treasure trove of art. Uh, Fiona's great aunt used to be a nude model in Paris, and she says that these artists all gave her original pieces as payment, and, and he's trying to get his hands on those. Um, and in between the chapters dealing with Yale and um, his life and what's going on with them, it takes place, There's the other section takes place in 2015, and this is Fiona's story. Uh, she's now a 50-year-old woman. She's flown to France. Uh, she's looking for her daughter, Claire. Her daughter is in her early 20s. She has dropped out of school. Uh, she fell in with a cult in Colorado. Fiona feels like this is her fault. Uh, when her daughter mentioned she was going out to Colorado, she said, oh, I know the son of a family friend that you could stay with, and not realizing that he was a cult leader. Uh, <laughs> and she goes, and so her daughter goes to this commune, and all of a sudden she's in a cult, she's doing all the things, and Fiona's doing all the things, you know, with her ex-husband that they can do to try and get her out of the house, but, like, you know, she's an adult, and she's not missing, and she can make her own choices, and, um, but then after a couple of years, she goes back again to try and convince her daughter to leave the cult, and she's no longer there. She and the cult leader have disappeared, nobody knows where they are, no one has seen them. And for this goes on for a while, like, she just doesn't know where her daughter is. And she and her daughter were not very close. They had a lot of um, fights when she was a teenager. She, she had a hard time with her when she was younger. She, Fiona's marriage to her, uh, her daughter's father um, went poorly, and she kind of blames Fiona for that. And Fiona gets this email from a woman saying, I'm watching this ad for this, I, I can't even remember what it is, some advertisement that, that's set in France, and she sees a girl sitting on a bridge painting with a little girl sitting at her feet. And it's her daughter. She's what? certain that She's certain that it's her daughter, Claire. So she flies to France to hire a private detective to look for her daughter. Um, so they, that's the two stories that are going on. And it's just, it's so good. It's about our responsibility to ourselves and our responsibility to others. And about being kind and about making difficult decisions and how difficult relationships are. Even, like, even the best relationships, you know, the difficulties and the problems and what it means to, like, lose the people that you love. And it's so good. If you like The Hearts Invisible Furies, if you like A Little Life, um, if you ever read Unless by Carol Shields or The Christadora by Timothy Murphy, um, you're going to need all the tissues for this. But it's so fan 
fantastic. So again, that is called The Great Believers, and it's by Rebecca Mackay. You know, I'm glad that I haven't read it yet because I got to enjoy you selling the crap out of it. <laughs> it's so good. And it's and like, it's hard. I was thinking about it. The Center for Fiction list just came out, the nominees, the long mm-hmm. list for the first uh, novel of the year. And I've read almost all of them. And I, there are so many good books this year. It's incredible. Like, I couldn't, there's like 20 on this list and I couldn't even pick 10 to narrow it down. I mean... And this is like another, this isn't a debut, but this is another novel this year that is just knocking my socks off. I mean, everything is so great. It's so great. Something about this year has to be great. So now, please tell me about your book. All right. Well, my first book this week I mentioned on a previous show is Yes, We Still Can, Politics in the Age of Obama, Twitter, and Trump by Dan Pfeiffer. He was President Obama's communications director, among many other positions that he held uh, leading up to that in his career in the White House. And now he is the co-host of the Pod Save America podcast about politics and media. And This book is wonderful. As you know, if you have been listening to the show, I am working my way through like every Obama staffer memoir that there is. And they have ranged from like funny and self-deprecating to kind of dishy uh, and also self-deprecating to a little bit how-to-y, like Alyssa Mastromonaco's Who Thought This Was a Good Idea is part like self-help, part memoir about uh, her time working in the White House. This one um, I had heard was a little heavier on like political theory. Having read it, I will say, I don't think that's the way that I would pitch it. It's a little bit more about strategy than the uh, than the other Obama staffer memoirs have been, but there is still tons of personality and like many great stories from Dan Pfeiffer's career and from his experiences working with President Obama and with all of the staff. And if like me, you have been reading your way through those books, then you also get like little appearances from many of the other people who have written memoirs about their time working in the Obama White House. But this takes a like, you know, 50,000 foot view at how the world changed between President Obama's election and the um, election of Donald Trump, both of President Obama's elections, and not just politically, but what was going on with the internet, what was going on specifically with Twitter, um, and how media changed, um, how like cable news changed in response to how the media were changing online and when everyone could become a fact checker or post things on Twitter, sort of what the fast moving nature of media and journalism have done. And he lays out essentially like how those changes over the last eight or 10 years led up to sort of gradually creating an environment in which like the Russians can influence the election and the president can, the current president can tweet from his personal account and like make policy announcements that potentially change or threaten the world. Um, But also the gradual tiny things that led up to getting here. Dan Pfeiffer has a really great sense of small, seemingly small things that became historically significant or that contributed to historical significance um, in terms of really just changing not just our country, but how the world is different now than it was in 2008 uh, when President Obama first took office. So uh, there's a lot of like, here's the thing that happened, here's the thing that happened, here's the thing that happened, and here's another thing that happened, and here's how all of those things led up to creating the world where Trump was elected. The critical part, though, is here's what we can still do knowing this um, in order to kind of take the country back, in order to create change for good, in order to make 
politics progressive and helpful and accessible to as many people as possible. And Pfeiffer, from his like very intimate work in the Obama administration, has a position to say, and these are mistakes we made. Like We didn't realize that this thing was significant, or we made this decision when we should have made this other one. And so he looks at how the decisions that they made and the decisions that they should have made and the mistakes that they made also contributed to the environment that we're in now. And I think that kind of intellectual honesty uh, is really valuable, especially in a moment that we're in right now. It's very, it's a very smart book. It's interesting. It's really fun. It is not hard to read. It's not like a big, serious work of political theory. If you've listened to Pod Safe America, you would not expect a big, serious book like that from Dan Pfeiffer. Um, but very worthwhile, lots of substance, um, and I think a really unique and important perspective. So that's Yes, We Still Can, Politics in the Age of Obama, Twitter, and Trump by Dan Pfeiffer. I feel like everyone on Instagram was reading that today. Oh, really? Like every other photo I saw, people, what they were reading today, they were reading that book. It's a good one. It's a good book going into summer. I think it's just a nice, like... Things are happening in our nation sort of perpetually now, and it's um, good to get that perspective. Now, could you please tell us about our secret sponsor that you have locked me out of? (laughs) (laughs) The document I won't give you a link to. Um, Our first sponsor this week is Mira Books, which is the publisher of this summer's must-read novel, Harry's Trees by John Cohen. When 34-year-old Harry Crane loses his wife in a freak accident, he's unable to cope. Determined to lose himself, he turns to the remote woods of northeastern Pennsylvania's endless mountains and the trees that have always been a source of comfort in his life. Harry, I get it. Trees are great. But before he can leave the world behind, fate intervenes in the most unexpected way, sending him on an unlikely journey where he encounters a strange and quirky group of characters, a wise old librarian, a grief-stricken widow, and a little girl whose unwavering belief in fairy tales will help them all find magic in their lives. This is an uplifting story. It's a poignant reminder of the power of friendship and the enduring presence of goodness in the world, even when it seems dark. So discover the magic of Harry's Trees today. You can download the audiobook or pick up a copy wherever books are sold. That's Harry's Trees by John Cohen. I don't know why you had to keep that from me. I'm sorry. Sometimes Google just doesn't like me to share links, Lib. <laughs> I was like, what should I do for the ad spot today? I was like, you can't look at this. It was really just to make the decision-making process easier. It was like, you it know was. what? If you can only see one of them, there's only one to do. <laughs> I really appreciate you dumbing this down for me. <laughs> <laughs> look, it's late. We've had a long day. Our brains are fried. It's true. Uh, I would like to tell you about my next book because it is fantastic. It's called Old in Art School, and it's by Nell Painter. Like That's her actual last name, which is fantastic. Um, she is a historian. Uh, she's a retired professor. She has written several historical books. I've lost all my words. Um, and this is about how she joined art school after retiring as a professor uh, at the age of 64. She decided that she wanted to become an artist or pursue art, uh, and she starts taking art classes. And when she was young, she had taken art classes uh, in, at Berkeley or something when she was like in her 20s or something, but writing was really, and history was like really the subject that spoke to her, and she was really good at it, and so she went for it. Um, and like I said, she wrote several books, won awards, and uh, she, but she really, she talks about like how she really enjoyed picking out the photos and the art that she used to put in these books, and she's always had a, an eye and an interest in art. Um, and so she joins 
art school. She enrolls in art school, and everyone there is just out of high school, save for, like, her and one other student. <laughs> and it's about, like, the preconceived notions about age, and also about art, what it means to be an artist. Who gets to be an artist? Why do they get called artists when some people don't? Uh, she, at the beginning, she's having a problem because she's having a great day. Her book is on the cover of the New York Times Book Review, her most recent book. But her art teacher is telling her she's never going to be a true artist, that she just doesn't have what it is to be a true artist. And, like, what does that mean to be a true artist? And also, you know, she thought, like, when she was young and she was going to art school, she got terrible grades in her art classes because she thought talent was the thing that you either had or you don't. And now she has, like, this whole new discipline in her 60s. And she, you know, you have, she realizes, like, yes, some of that is true, but you have to work at it. And she talks about, like, having to do these illustrations where they have you draw something and then immediately erase it. And she's like, I just did this beautiful thing and now I have to erase it and then draw it again and then erase that and, and you know, like, how you have to work at it. Um, she discusses her mother who wrote her first book after the age of 65 um, and, and how much of an influence her mother was on her and... There's a really sweet, sad chapter about when her mother passes away, how she couldn't capture her mother in her art, and she wasn't going to do any art while her mother was dying. Um, she talks about different art forms. She talks about the artists that influence her. She talks about how she had self-doubt, how she enrolled in art school before she finished her last book, and she, she started thinking, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you leaving what you know to do this thing that you might not be any good at? Um, you know, and she's, like, dragging herself back and forth from New York to New Jersey to go to school, and she's taking public transportation, but she's, her art is influenced by the public transportation. Um, and she also talks about, like, how she has a 20th century mind, like, the art that she loved, mm. like, Andy Warhol and Alice Neal, um, is very different than the art that the kids are making these days. She talks about how the children like to put a lot of genitals in their artwork. <laughs> And she herself now oh, that's has, such a has, good has, sentence. Yeah, she, well, that's not what she says, but, <laughs> but it's like how she now herself has considered having a 21st century art mind and doing that herself. Um, and how she dresses like an artist now. She's like, artists don't get dressed, they costume themselves. It is such a warm, funny, smart book. You know, I loved her voice. Um, I loved everything about it. It was just a joy to read. So again, it is called Old in Art School, and it's by Nell Painter. I'm just imagining her as Frankie from Grace and Frankie. Basically, <laughs> kind of, yeah. That's a good. That's a good analogy. Like dress like an artist. It just is like okay. So Chicos, I guess. <laughs> like she she goes into like cowboy boots and like nice. all the flowing things, and you know it's it's really fun. I May we it. all age so gracefully. Mm-hmm. All right, my next one this week is Wicked and the Wallflower. It is the first in Sarah McLean's new series, The Bare Knuckle Bastards. Sarah McLean, as you yeah, may yeah. know, is like our house favorite romance novelist <laughs> here. Um, the heroine of this book, Lady Felicity Faircloth, appeared in the previous Sarah McLean novel, The Day of the Duchess, in which the Duke of Haven was married, but not to someone. Uh, it was a marriage of convenience, let's say. And he had told his wife that she could get out of being married to him as soon as she found him a new wife. And there's this long weekend in the country with a bunch of women vying to be the new Duchess of Haven. And Lady Felicity Faircloth is a very memorable one of those uh, women in that book. Uh, so she becomes the main character in Wicked and the Wallflower. She's 27 
She has, you know, not yet landed a husband. 27 in Regency Romance is like she's an old maid. They say she's going to be on the shelf. Um, and she is pretty sure that she's like done with society. She's kind of fine with the idea of being an old maid. She doesn't think that her family really needs her to get married into a, a wealthy line. It's cool with her. Uh, but then one night, a mysterious stranger shows up in her bedchamber, which is highly unusual uh, and not, it's just not done in Regency England. And he offers to help her find a husband. So she accepts his offer, uh, but there is one condition. And I'm not going to tell you what that is. And <laughs> <laughs> because that would just not be any fun. Uh, I'm also not going to tell you who the mysterious stranger is. You'll have to read the book to find out. But like all Sarah McLean novels, it is fun. It's witty, surprising. Her books feel, even though they're set, you know, almost 200 years ago, they feel very contemporary and present because she has such a sense for uh, the things that are the same about sex and love and dating and romance, that kind of like human relationships, the, the things that have always been there or about being part of a society like that likes to gossip or um, feeling like you want one thing and culture expects you to do another thing. Uh, or her heroines are always very self-possessed. There is feminism just woven into the fabric of the book and the stories. Um, she's just great. Sarah McLean is just great. Her books are great. And Wicked in the Wallflower is no exception. I'm looking forward to reading the rest of the Spare Knuckle Bastards series. Um, this is a shout out to that iTunes reviewer who got mad at me for talking about romance novels and self-help. Today you get two romance novels and a politics book. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel good about it. So that's Wicked in the Wallflower, the first book in the Bare Knuckle Bastards series by Sarah McLean. All right. You never have to apologize for talking about books that you oh, like. Oh, yeah. I'm not sorry. <laughs> this is a show about recommendations and enthusiasm. I don't have time to talk about books we don't like. So, speaking of books we don't like, <laughs> um, I read, this happens to me sometimes, I read a lot of books, the beginnings of books, uh, for, to, for coverage consideration, I lost my words again, for coverage consideration for today, and I, I did not like many of them. Some of them I was like, no, some of them I was really surprised they had been recommended to me, and I, I did not enjoy them. So I thought I would talk about a couple of older titles for my last two books. Let's um, do it. Because I had to save some for the newsletter. Uh, so there's lots of good stuff in the newsletter. These are still good, but they don't come out today. Um, the first one is Spinning by Tilly Walden. It's a graphic novel, much in the sort of honor girl, best we could do, tomboy sort of memoir uh, she was a young figure skater, Tilly Walden. This is this is a, a memoir, uh, and she used to live in New Jersey. Uh, she was very serious about it. She did the whole getting up super early. Dad drove her to practice before she had school. Um, she was really quite good at it. Uh, but then she gets the word from her parents that they are moving to Texas, and she's kind of Tilly Walden was kind of awkward, kind of shy. Uh, she got bullied a lot in school, so her parents thought that when they moved to Texas, by putting her in a private school, it would keep her from getting bullied. 
but um, she has found her her brand new you know tormentor there. Um, she's not having a great time. She has skating classes twice a day. She has them before school and then after like different. She does like synchronized skating and then she does figure skating. Um, and like she's finding out that like they have different techniques for doing things and different names for different moves. And she's having a hard time fitting in. Plus she's a bit better than the other girls in her age group, so they're kind of jealous of her. And so it takes her a long time to get accustomed to what's going on there. And she also knows that she likes girls. She is attracted to girls. She says that she has known this since she was five, and she develops crushes on her friends. Um, but she's afraid, you know, to act on them or say anything about them. And her parents, her dad is super supportive, really great. Her mom, not so much. She does not want anything to do with her skating. Her dad's always working. Uh, she doesn't really explain her mom. I don't know if her mom's always working, but nobody comes to watch her when she performs. Uh, and she's she's only 22 now. Like, I was reading this, I was thinking, like, oh, it's going to be a long time ago. Nope. They're, like, 12 years old talking about getting a new Snapchat filter, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, she's a baby. And uh, she is. So, like, they record, other parents record her performances on their phones so that she can show them to her parents because her parents don't show up for her performances. She's a very stressed young woman. She feels very stressed about a lot of things. She's not sure that she loves skating she doesn't enjoy being bullied at all, but when she has the opportunity to turn her bully in, she doesn't do it. Um, she doesn't speak up for herself, and this is, and also her attraction to girls is all weighing on her. Um, and eventually, she meets another girl, and they have a romance, but her the girl's mother finds out, and she's forbidden from seeing her anymore. Uh, and she thinks that at that time, it's the time to come out, and her family is unsupportive. Her mother, you know, is, is rude about it. Her brother tells her he thinks it's wrong. Um, and so she eventually has to decide things for herself. She realizes, like, no one is going to make these decisions for her. Um, she's going to have to make her own decisions in her life. And it's, it's tremendous. It's sad, but it's important. And it's also incredible. I think it, it's a good book for young people, especially ones who are pursuing this kind of, like, activity. Like, these sports. Like, they have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and practice. Like, a lot of us who are in the professions that we are in now did not have to ready ourselves for them when we were young. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the are my profession didn't even exist. <laughs> yeah. Like we, you know, she's under this tremendous strain all the time. Um, the, the things that they go through, like they're 12 year old girls who have to put on makeup and they can't wear underwear in when they do their routines because the judges will, you know, um, cite them for it if they can see lines Jeez. and like, you know, they have to watch their weight and it's like, you know, six, seven hours of practice every day. Like, my job requires no physical activity whatsoever. You do yoga, which is physically, you know, it, requ it requires a lot of... Uh, you have to move your body. Yeah. But it, the whole thing about yoga is, like, being chill, you know? Like, this is, like, this thing... She's just a little girl, and she's doing this. You know, like, nobody says to a kid... You want to be a doctor when you grow up. You want to be a surgeon. Okay, go out and find some dead bodies and practice cutting them up every day. Like, it just doesn't happen, you know? So to, it's a tremendous thing to think about these young women, you know, and, and any young child doing this as a sport. Um, I think it was, it's very serious. Like, as I'm talking about this, I'm like, this sounds very serious. And it is. <laughs> but I think it's important for young people who are interested in these kind of activities. I think it's important for young people... Um, especially ones who are unsure about their sexuality. You know, it's it's a really great book. And so, it again, it is called Spinning, and it is by Tilly Walden. Whew. All right. That's intense. Yeah. Good, though. Good intense. Very good. 
Um, and now I'm going to tell you about the ad that you let me see. All right. Our next sponsor is Me, Myself, and Them by Dan Mooney. Struggling to cope with a tragic loss, Dennis has, for the past seven years, learned to live a bit differently. Both his friends, Ollie and Frank, are used to the strict routine, like ironing his his strict routines, excuse me, like ironing his socks and lighting his fireplace every Sunday afternoon, even in the summer. Then Rebecca returns to town. Rebecca is Dennis's enigmatic ex-girlfriend and is sunshine personified. Shocked to meet the new Dennis, unable to manage even the most basic social interactions, she becomes determined to bring back the funny, charismatic Dennis. It's not long before Rebecca's carefree charm threatens to shatter the world Dennis has created for himself. A heartbreaking, funny debut novel about one man's struggle with mental illness and an eye-opening exploration of the healing power of human connection. This is perfect for readers of Silver Linings Playbook and Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. So again, that is called Me, Myself, and Them by Dan Mooney, and we thank them for sponsoring. All right. Well, Me, Myself, and Them leads kind of into my next title. <laughs> um, it's Alone Time by Stephanie Rosenblum. This came out uh, June 5th, a couple of weeks ago, and I've been looking forward to talking about it since I read it. It's a memoir um, and kind of like soft social analysis about traveling alone. The subtitle is Four Seasons, Four Cities, and the Pleasure of Solitude. Um, basically, at a turning point in her career, Stephanie Rosenblum was feeling just like frustrated and disconnected. She lives in New York City, um, that busy like go, go, go thing all the time. Um, and she was noticing that when she traveled was when she really like felt the most present and the most grounded in her life. And she wanted to explore that more. Um, but she also wanted to do it in a way that was reasonable and doable, um, accessible to more people than who then would have access to like doing an eat, pray, love where you just like run away for a year. Um, so she planned four trips, um, one for, uh, oh, for one week each to Paris, Istanbul, Florence, and then another week in her hometown of New York city lined right up with her four weeks of vacation each year, which is luxurious. Most people don't have that much vacation. Um, but she planned to spend those weeks of vacation in those different cities by herself, um, enjoying what it is to travel alone, which is a really unique and, and different experience. I guess unique and different serve to modify the same thing here, but whatever. <laughs> it's too late <laughs> in the day for that kind of specificity. Anyway, um, traveling alone is a different experience than traveling with a friend or with a partner or even just being in a tour group. Um, so she is also in the, pro like, in the process of doing this travel. She's reflecting on like, what did I enjoy in my day or what did I experience that, that would have been different either for better or for worse with someone else along. Um, each city that she visits sort of carries with it a different theme in what she's thinking about and reflecting on. And she also pulls in uh, research and ideas from psychologists and sociologists about travel, about solitude, about why it is so essential that we spend time alone and kind of what can happen when we spend some of that alone time traveling and being in other places. Um, I really, really loved this. I love to travel and I have put together in the last couple of years that one of the reasons I like to travel so much is that I feel uh, getting out of my like everyday stuff makes me feel more 
grounded um, and more just like where I am. I get to just fully be there. I'm not distracted or off in my head thinking about a million other things. And Rosenblum pulls in some science that might explain how that works. Um, I thought it was really thoughtful. Um, The travel writing is beautiful and lovely. It makes you want to go to all of these cities, but she also doesn't sugarcoat it. She talks about the moments of loneliness that happen when you travel by yourself. Um, Some of the frustrations, the things that can be a little bit scary about going somewhere where there's a language barrier or you can't navigate very easily. She's pretty honest about like, this is not perfect. um, But struggling through some of those difficult moments of traveling alone is also part of what you end up getting out of it. So I really liked it. Um, I think if you're thinking about a summer trip or really a trip anytime, or you've just never traveled by yourself, um, if that's a thing that is available to you at all, um, even if you like get in the car and drive somewhere an hour away just to do something different, pick up Alone Time by Stephanie Rosenblum. My last pick is a kissing book. Yes. Yes. We're heavy on those because my last pick is going to be one too. (laughs) Well, this one came out a few weeks ago. I just got my hands on it. It came out on June 5th. So I gave up on everything that I was trying for today. And I read half of it uh, yesterday and I loved it. So I've only read half of it. It could go horribly wrong in the last half, but I don't think so because so many people have told me to read this book and they are not wrong. It's called The Kiss Quotient and it's by Helen Huang. came out on June 5th. It is adorable. It's about a woman named Stella. She's uh, 30 years old. She lives in Silicon Valley. She's rich. She's really great at her job. She has a job working out algorithms to help businesses predict customers' purchases and, like, make recommendations and, you know, figure what they need. Um, And she has Asperger's. She doesn't like human contact. She doesn't like casual conversation. She doesn't like making eye contact with people. She's very sensitive to smells. Um, Her parents are not... They're very kind, but they're not the most understanding people. Um, It opens with them telling her, you know, you're 30 years old and we are ready for grandchildren now. And she hasn't even had, like, a serious relationship, you know, but they're, like, pressuring her. And, like, also, like, her mother is holding her hand, even though she knows she doesn't like it because she thinks it helps to acclimate her, whereas she's, like, not respecting Mm. her space, you know. Uh, So Stella, but she thinks about it. She's like, oh, my goodness, I'm 30 years old. And she's never really had a boyfriend. She has had a, she has had sex before. Um, because she she treats it as, like, a business transaction. She thinks it's something that has to happen, you know, uh, during a date. But she hasn't enjoyed it. And she figures if she can get good at it, you know, she will meet a man, get married, and have children. None of which she wants to do, but she wants to make her parents happy. So she figures, you know who's probably good at it? Someone who does it professionally. So she hires an escort. His name is Mike. He's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, he shows up for their first date. She... She is not what he is expecting. He's like, this can't possibly, you know, be my client. Here's this beautiful young woman. And it turns out she is. And she tells him she wants to hire him for a few months to teach him, to not teach him, teach her uh, how to make love, how to be good at sex. And also it ends up he's going to pretend to be her boyfriend, you know, and like fool her parents. Um, But there's an actual attraction between them. Um, And they, you know, are, they're like, they can't resist each other. He doesn't normally see people more than once, but he's like, Mm -hmm. he's got this thing going on and he really likes her. The book is really adorable. It's also really hot and dirty. Hot, dirty, (laughs) and adorable. But it's like so charming and cute and funny. And like I said, I've only read half of it, but I love it. But I do want to read you the author's bio. Where Where did I put it? Here it is. Okay. So it says... 
Helen Huang is that shy person who never talks, until she does, and the worst things fly out of her mouth. She read her first romance novel in 8th grade and has been addicted ever since. In 2016, she was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder in line with what was previously known as Asperger's syndrome. Her journey inspired the kiss quotient. She currently lives in San Diego with her husband, two kids, and pet fish. So this is like own voices, and, and it's fantastic. It's so charming and funny, and it makes you think about a lot of things that you don't normally think about. So. I'm requesting it from my library, like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, so many people have told me how great it was, so. All right, so you're up. And, it, All and right. if, you, if you liked the book that you're going to talk about next, you will also like The Kiss Question. I'm just going to say that. Yes. Speaking of romances that so many people recommended, um, this my next pick is The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory. It came out back in January. I am pretty sure that you talked about it yep. when it came out. Um, and I bought it then and had just been like waiting for a weekend, really. And last weekend, I had a Sunday with no plans, and I just sat on the couch, and I read a romance and Liberty, it felt so good. Yeah. So the wedding date, super cute setup in case you forgot because it's been a while, um, about a woman named Alexa Monroe. She is trained as an attorney, but she's working uh, in the office of the mayor uh, in Berkeley, California. And she is in the, she's at a fancy hotel in town, getting in the elevator to go up to her sister's room to meet her sister to celebrate a big professional accomplishment. There is a hot guy in the elevator. His name is Drew. The elevator gets stuck and Alexa and Drew hang out for a little while. Uh, They dig into the cheese and crackers that Alexa had packed as a snack to take up to her sister and they flirt with each other. And it turns out that Drew is in town to attend a wedding, not just any wedding, but the wedding of his best friend and his ex-girlfriend and he's the best man and he also doesn't have a date because his date canceled on him at the last minute Uh, so they talk about these things and they flirt a little in the elevator and then they get out and as they're getting out drew just risks it and he asks alexa to be his date for the weekend and she agrees because it's been a while since she dated anybody and drew is hot and like she doesn't take many risks. So what, you know, she needs to take some risks and what harm could possibly come of going to some parties. Uh, so she and Drew go to the rehearsal together that night, the next night, I think. And then the following night after that, they go to the wedding and it turns out that surprise, they actually are really attracted to each other. Sparks fly, clothes fly off. And before they know it, they're in a like back and forth, long distancey kind of relationship because Drew lives in LA. So they're going back and forth. One of them is visiting the other every weekend. Complications happen because it's a romance. Um, if you don't like totally dirty romance, this one has mostly fade to black scenes. Um, So there's not a lot of like graphic description of the sexy times. But the way that Jasmine Guillory writes up to and around them is very steamy. It just leaves a lot of room for the imagination. So um, whatever that helps you decide about whether you want to read this or not, it is super, super fun. Uh, And I just really liked it. I just thought it was so much fun. This was just a fun, light, but 
really satisfying read. Alexa is this serious professional woman. She's very competent. Drew is a doctor. He's also very competent. Um, when I was looking up reviews for it after I read it, somebody on Book Riot called it competence porn. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like They're just both serious and smart. They're equals in that way. They respect each other. Um, Alexa is a black woman. Drew is a white guy. And so there's some conversation between them about things that he just doesn't think about or wouldn't know to think about or doesn't understand about her experience. Um, and Jasmine Guillory, uh, as a black woman writer, is coming to that, uh, certainly knowing what she's writing about. Uh, it's all handled in a like completely believable, yes, these are situations that these two people would find themselves in. And it was just a ton of fun to read. So that's The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory. I can't wait to read her new one. It's coming out in September. I know. It's called The Proposal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About a public proposal that goes wrong, which I can only assume means the person said no. (laughs) (laughs) What a risk. (laughs) You better be sure you're going to get a yes if you're doing a public proposal. (laughs) Seriously. So those are our new books and just some previous books that we've enjoyed this week. What are you going to read next? So this book actually comes out today as well, but it was a little too in Liberty's wheelhouse for general <laughs> listeners, I think. Um, okay. So I'm, like, just enjoying reading it. Uh, but you might, too. It's Accidentally Like a Martyr, The Tortured Art of Warren Zevon by James Campion. It's 13 essays on uh, Zevon's songs and his albums and everything about him because he is a rock god and everyone knows Werewolf of London, but he was an actual genius who made lots more music besides that song. Um, and, uh, did I mention I love him? <laughs> I'm, like, obsessed with Warren Zevon. Like, every year, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I don't even pay attention to the names because it's, like, Warren Zevon or Get Lost. Like, <laughs> I just, I love him. So, that's out today. Uh, how about you? I am going to, well, I'm definitely going to pick up The Great Believers and read it, but I'm also going to get into Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, uh, which Amanda pitched to me recently as like Terry Tempest Williams meets H's for Hawk meets Mary Oliver, uh, which I bought instantly. Um, Robin Wall Kimmerer is a botanist. She's also a Native American. She's um, a member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. And so she's looking at the idea that plants and animals are our oldest teachers um, through the lens of not just modern science, but of the relationship that um, Native Americans and that indigenous people have had with the land. And uh, as I understand, also moves up into looking at what contemporary science, how contemporary science is shaped by and continues to shape colonization and the erasure of um, native cultures. So I'm really looking forward to that. Fantastic. All right. That's all for today. We and now it. it is dark out here. It is. Uh, it's time to put our feet up and relax and maybe read a book. Yes. So... Don't forget to enter to win a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. This is open worldwide bookriot.com slash bookstore 500 you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com before you do that thanks to our sponsors harry's trees and me myself and them if you want to drop us a line you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com hit us up on twitter i'm rebecca shinsky s-c-h-i-n-s-k-y liberty is miss liberty and if you have a minute rate or review the show on apple podcasts 
And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. Like seriously, we have to give this to Kyle so he can turn it around now. Um, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter, as well as a link to Warren Zevon songs. Listen to Warren Zevon, he's so good. <laughs> and that's it. And in the meantime. In the meantime. Happy, happy reading. reading.